If you are new with us, let me explain where we have been, uh, this being our fifth week in this series that we have entitled Game Changers. And what we mean by that series is we've been looking and, and will look at, concluding next week, at six promises that can change your life. And we don't make that statement to be overly dramatic, but the reality is here at this church and hopefully um, churches across our city and our state and our nation and our world, and I, and I know there are, believe that God's word has power. And when God's word is open, we say here at Salem Chapel, God's mouth is open. And what we know if we've lived any amount of time on this earth, which would be all of us in this room, that there are moments in our life that happen to us that are of significance, good or difficult. And oftentimes we call those moments in our life game changers because they are moments that can change the direction or the trajectory of our life. And it's in those moments, what I have found, and probably you as well, that it's in those moments that we have a choice. Are we going to rely and try to navigate those moments on our own, on what culture tells us, on simply what our friends tell us, on what, what we've always believed, or, or is there a place that we can go that can be game-changing in the midst of game-changer moments? And we're looking at six of those promises in God's Word. There's over 3,000 of them. We've been saying that every week, and we're looking at six of them. But these six promises are of significance. See, the first promise that we looked at, if you were new with us, and let me encourage you, if, you, if it's your first time here, you can go to our website. You can watch these. You can, you can listen to them, uh, either one, whatever you choose to get caught up. But let me just briefly let you know where we've been. We looked at, first of all, the promise of salvation, because maybe in a game-changing moment in your life that's difficult, or maybe one that even is a consequence of sin that you've committed, you find yourself in a moment where you're even doubting that you are a child of God. So where do you go in that moment? And so we looked at a game-changing promise that gives the promise of salvation. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and, and we've been handing out these cards every week with the passage of Scripture for the purpose not to waste ink and paper, but so that you would have six promises that you can go to when you are in one of those moments. And so when you're in that moment where you're doubting your salvation, or maybe you're in a moment and you've never put your trust in Christ, you've just been putting in yourself, what is a passage of Scripture that you can go to in that moment? And so Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 was a passage that we gave. The promise of salvation, the greatest promise that can be given in your life. Second promise we looked at is there's often times in our life where we wander away from what the Lord wants us to do and, and we're, we, we sin and we experience consequences because of our sin. And oftentimes what can take place is we can get ourselves into thinking and start believing the lies of the enemy that I've wandered too far away from the Lord that I'm too far away from his grace, that I'm too far away from his forgiveness, and it's in that moment that we need to have a passage of Scripture that gives us the promise of restoration. And we looked at John 21. And then if you're like me, man, this could be you even this morning, you're like, man, I need, I, I need to know where I should go. I need to know if I make the decision or I don't make this decision, if I move here, if I don't move here, if I marry this person, if I don't marry this person. Do I ask this girl to marry me or do I not ask this girl to marry me? Do I break off this or do I keep it going? And, and we can go on and on with the scenarios and you need direction in your life. Where do you go? What promise do you cling to in that game-changing moment? And we gave Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 a promise of direction, that if you trust in him, he will make your path straight. Last week, we looked at a promise of strength in Isaiah 40, 27 through 31. Because you don't have to live life long to get hit with the realization that you're not as strong as you think. So what do you do in those moments? What promise do you cling to? Where in God's word do you go? And so we gave you a passage of scripture that gives you the promise of strength. See, there's a reason why there's a white flag on that graphic behind me in the branding of this message is because I've said this every week that oftentimes when we think of a white flag, we don't think of surrender as something that we desire to do because we think of surrender as defeat. But in the Bible, we see over and over again, surrender is not defeat. Oh, no, no, no. 
Surrendering to the Lord is how we experience victory. Surrendering to the one who has always won, W-O-N. And these promises will change my life if I surrender to them. And this passage this morning is no different. But before we look at it, I want to share with you just a little bit of a story of something that I came to realize when, I, when we were living in Florida. And we had an opportunity to, to own a couple different houses uh, while we were down in southwest Florida. And, and when we moved into, this happened to both of our houses, when we, right after we moved into them, it wasn't long after we were in them that we started to see a problem with the house. In particular, it's interesting in both houses, it happened to be in this one room, in our bedroom, that we had these, we had tray ceilings in our, in our bedroom, and hopefully you know what that is, because I don't even know how to explain it, but, but we had these tray ceilings in our bedroom. What we were finding was, is we were finding little cracks that were happening in the tray ceiling, and I remember the first time it was just one crack, and so I don't claim to be a drywaller by any means. In fact, if you worked with me when we were renovating this building, you can testify that I'm not a drywaller. Um, but I had someone in our church that was, that's what he did for his occupation. So I called him on the phone. I was like, hey, can you come here? Can you look at this crack and tell me what's going on? And so he looked at it and he retaped it and he painted it and it looked great. But then about 45 to 90 days later, what happened was, is there just wasn't one crack in the tray ceiling. There was multiple cracks. And then they were going down the seam of the wall. And I was like, okay, we have a significant problem here. I trust that this guy who is my friend who does this for his occupation knows what he's doing. So maybe this is a fluke. So I asked him to come back and, and I said, hey, can you look at the wall? See, there's now not one crack where you just retaped it and painted. Now there's starting to be other cracks. And so he just looked at the cracks on the wall, didn't say anything. So I'm looking at him, not saying anything either, because that's why he's there. And I'm thinking to myself, we have a solution here. Like, hey, are you going to go to your truck and get your stuff so you can do this? I mean, I was, he was a good friend of mine. I didn't doubt his expertise, but he looked at them a little bit longer and he said, Johnny, the cracks aren't your problem. And I was like, do you see a crack? Yes. I see a crack. I see multiple cracks since the last time you were here. So tell me how that's not the problem. And he's like, well, you don't have a problem with cracks in and of themselves. Though, yes, you can see that. You have another bigger problem. You have a shifting foundation. And that's why you have the cracks. See, I come to realize a fundamental building principle. And it was this. If you don't stabilize your foundation, you will forever be doing patchwork in your house. We've got probably some builders in here. You, you understand that. I did not. But that's a fundamental principle. And here's why I say that. Because today, in every direction that we turn, probably anywhere you go in life, you are finding proverbial cracks on the wall. Cracks in your personal life, cracks in your marriage, cracks in your family, cracks in our culture, cracks in our government, cracks in society. We could go on and on and on and on. Everywhere we look, you don't have to look far. And we put a lot of time and we put a lot of energy in patchwork, don't we? Well, let's just deal with that crack and let's, let's, let's retape it, let's repaint it. Oh, the crack shows up again. Let's, let's do the same thing. We put a lot of time into patchwork in our lives. When in reality, we don't understand that we have a foundation problem. See, we have seminars that we can go to. We have books that we can buy. We have YouTube and videos and channels that we can subscribe to. I mean, just on my device, I can have thousands and thousands of books at my fingertips on a phone. Didn't even have that 12 years ago. I mean, we, we, we live in an age where we have more information available to us than ever in the history of mankind. And you know what's interesting? We still have cracks. 
Life, marriage, family, on and on and on. Why? Because the issue is not the cracks, is not putting our energy to patchwork. We have a foundation problem. So here's the question that I want you to ask yourself, and I want you to write this down. It's this, as we approach this passage of Scripture that I'm going to give you here in a second. It's this, what is the foundation in your life that needs to be fixed so you don't spend your life simply doing patchwork? I'll read it again. What is the foundation that needs to be fixed so you don't spend your life simply doing patchwork? See, the title of the message this morning, the promise that we are going to look at this morning that can change your life, that can change my life is this, the promise of stability. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. For many of us in this room, this is not going to be an unfamiliar passage of Scripture to you. And so if you're like, oh man, I could quote this passage of Scripture by heart. You gave me a card, I already have it memorized. Like I already know this passage of Scripture. I'm going to kind of go on autopilot and figure out what we're going to want to eat for lunch afterwards. If that's you right now, this is for you. This is for you. If you've never heard of this passage of Scripture before, here's what's awesome. This is for you. So it doesn't matter if it's the most familiar passage of Scripture in all the Bible, it's the most unfamiliar. God wants us to hear this promise this morning because this promise is built upon a precept. What's a precept? Something that doesn't change. Preferences, man, they change all the time. I can like this one day, I can not like this another. This can be in style today and not be in style the next day. Man, that's a preference. But what we're going to look at this morning is a precept. It doesn't change. It's a reality. And this promise of stability is given by the greatest preacher who ever lived. And if you're the greatest preacher that ever lived, then that means you preach the greatest sermons that have ever been preached. It's kind of how that works. And in Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7, it's the Sermon on the Mount. It's the greatest message that has ever been preached by the greatest preacher who has ever preached, and that is Jesus. So you can say you're the greatest preacher who ever lived and preached the greatest sermons when you say in John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. When you are the Word, you're the greatest preacher that has ever preached. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He is closing out a message that encompasses three chapters, chapter five, chapter six, chapter seven, and he is going to conclude this message by giving this illustration. You know, Jesus was the greatest storyteller as well. He knew how to take modern things and use them to illustrate biblical truths. After all, that's the definition of a parable, a story with a eternal truth. And so Jesus is gonna lay out here a conclusion that's the greatest conclusion that's ever been given that I want us to look at this morning that's going to give us a promise of stability. You know, when I was over in Israel, remember the first week I said I wouldn't say that every week? I didn't say it last week. But when I was over in Israel, we had the privilege to go to the place where, where tradition says is where the Sermon on the Mount was preached. There's a picture of it there. And whether or not the exact location, somewhere along that hillside, Jesus gave this message. And it was so awesome to sit there and to open up the Bible and just to read Matthew 5 through 7, just my personal time with the Lord, knowing, man, I'm at the place where Jesus gave the greatest message, the greatest preacher. And even sitting on that mountain saying, saying, God, I mean, not just be someone who knows this so well, but may, 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 you, may I be diligent in being a person who applies this to my life. I just put that picture up so you can see a visual of it so God's word can become more clearer to you as far as visually how you view it. But see, I want us to pray here right now because I think it's important in the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at that we remind ourselves 
that what God shows us today through his word cannot be accomplished in our own strength, but only through the strength that is given in Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit. So as I ask that question that says, what is the foundation that needs to be fixed so you're not just doing patchwork in your life, I want you to pray, Lord, would you show me how you want me to answer that. So would you pray with me as I pray out loud, Lord, we're here today to hear from you, and we know we have a promise that when your word is open, your mouth is open. So God, it's not as much praying that you'll speak, but God, it's praying that we would be submissive to what you say needs to be fixed in our life through your strength. God, such a familiar passage of Scripture. And God, I thank you for the way that you've convicted me of areas in my life that need to be fixed. And Lord, may we be doers of the word and not hearers only. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read this passage of Scripture just so that we're not taking into account that anyone is too familiar with it. Look at verse 24. Jesus closes out this message saying this, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and they beat on that house, but it did not fall because it, it had been founded on the rock. Can we just read verse 25 together? Such an important principle that we are going to unpack this morning. Read verse 25 with me again. And the rain fell, and the flood came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. Can you read that last phrase with me again? Because it had been founded on the rock. Look at verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Here's really the idea that we want to look at this morning as we look at this promise of stability. It's this, the foundation you are building, the foundation that I am building, my life, your life upon, will determine its stability. Your foundation determines your stability. It is a precept, it is a principle, it is not a preference, that if we want stability in our life, it will be determined by the foundation that we are building our lives upon. That is the essence of what Jesus is trying to get across in his concluding remarks on the most amazing an absolutely best sermon that's ever been preached. So here's what I want to do. This story is about two men. You, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to see that. A story is about two men, and they had three things in common. And so can we look at the things that they had in common first? Let's look at the first thing. Here's the first thing they had in common. They both had the same dream. Both had the same dream. What was their dream? Their dream was to build a house. That was their dream. That's what they were going after. Each one of them wanted to build a house. And here's what we need to understand. We are all building something. Every one of us. We're all building something. Here's why I say that. Look at how Jesus starts off the very first word of these concluding remarks. What does he say? Say it out loud. Everyone. We're all builders. Every one of us have a dream. We are all wanting to build a house. Now that word house is an interesting word that's found in this passage of scripture. Because house, that word house in the scripture can refer to a number of things. If we looked at the scriptures at the Bible, if we had time to do so, and looked at the different ways that that word house speaks to different things, we would, we would see some similarities over and over again. See, here's what house first refers to in Scripture, if you were to look at it. First to building a life. Not only here in Matthew 7, 24 through 27, but in other passages of Scripture. House can refer to building a life. Now, I'm about to say something that's not going to shock you, but I'm going to say it anyway. You know what I've found in life? Nobody starts off their life saying, I want to be a failure. Yeah, I'm going to go major in this in college, and I want to fail. Nobody says that. You're not even laughing at that because it's so ludicrous, right? Nobody says that. 
Nobody says, I want my life to be a waste. That at the end of my life, if I live a long life, if God's so gracious to do that for me, at the end of my life, before I close my eyes and Jesus takes me home, I want to say, I've wasted my life. Nobody says that. Why? Because you would be insane if you said that. Nobody, nobody says that. People do say, man, I want to, I want to with my life, I want to build a career. And in building that career, I want to make a difference. I want my life to have some sense of significance. I want it to have some sense of substance. I want to leave a legacy. Like, like that's, a, that's not a bad thing. Like, that's what people want to build with their lives. Why? Because you want to do what? You want to build a house. You have a dream. You want to build your life. Here's a, another thing that people, that we find that house can refer to. It can refer to building a family in the Bible. Houses can refer to families. Over and over again, you see in the Old Testament, the house of David, the house of Solomon, the house of Jacob. House can refer to a family. And just like nobody starts off saying, I want my life to be a failure, I want my life to be a waste, I want my life to be in shambles, nobody says that about their family. I've done a lot of premarital counseling in my day. Had the privilege of marrying many couples, so thankful for that privilege. And I've never had a couple sit in my office and say, man, we're so excited to get married, and here's something else. We know in five years we're gonna be divorced. Nobody says that. Like if unfortunately you've even experienced divorce in your life, you would say you didn't start out your marriage wanting that. Nobody does. Nobody says, man, I want to live with my husband or my wife, and I want us to always fight and be at odds and never agree on anything and just have a horrible existence. Nobody says that. Why? Because you would be insane to think that. Nobody says, man, I want to have kids, and, and I want these kids to grow up, and I want these kids to be at odds with us, and I want them to be displaced from us, and I want us to not have any relationship whatsoever. Nobody says that. Why? Because you would be insane. Nobody wants to build that type of house. We want to have a healthy family. We want to have a home that has peace. We want it to be a haven of rest. We want it to be a safe place. Why? Because we're building a house. What else can the word house refer to in the Bible? It can also refer to a ministry. Like in Galatians 6.10, the church was referred to as a household of faith. God calls his temple in the Old Testament the house of God. See, a ministry can also refer to a house in so the same would be true of all the illustrations that I gave for a life and for a marriage and for a family. Nobody says, man, I want my ministry, I want our church to always be at odds, I want it to have division. Man, I, want, I don't want one church split, I want three. I want there to be distrust among the leaders in the congregation. I want, I want us, to, us to be a dysfunctional mess. I want us to shrink. I want us to dissolve. I want us to think about how do we sell our whatever resources that we have. Of course not. No one would say that that is leading a ministry. Why? Because you'd be insane. Why? Because you want to build a house. You want to build a ministry that is life-giving, that's transformational, that has life, that brings life. After all, you're building a house. See, they both had the same dream. It's one of the things they had in common. Another thing they had in common, it's found in verse 24 and 26. Both of them heard the words of Jesus. They both heard the words of Jesus. So if we want to put it in our context today, because the church wasn't started at this point, we want to put it in our context today so that we could better understand it, they both went to the same Bible-believing Bible church. And let me tell you, this church, if we're supposed to put it in our context, you didn't have a better preacher because your preacher was Jesus. And you didn't hear better messages and you didn't hear better theology. And let me tell you, every time he applied something, man, it just cut straight to your heart. You never walked out of that church ever saying, well, the preacher wouldn't have his A game today. It's Jesus. 
It didn't really resonate with me today. Preacher went a little long today. It's Jesus. Best theology, right theology, right application, right delivery, on the edge of your seat, hanging on every word. No, no, no. That's the type of people that we're dealing with here. That's the type of church that they went to. That's the type of things that these two men heard. Look at what else is similar. Both of them encountered a violent storm. They had a dream. They heard the same message. They both encountered a violent storm. Storms in the Bible, you know what they signify? You probably don't need me to tell you this, but I will. They signify trouble. They signify difficulty. They signify trials. And we all go through them. Listen to me, if you're ever at a church and, some, and the preacher's telling you that when you come to Christ that you're supposed to live your best life now and you're never going to encounter any difficulty, that's when you say, how quick can we go to the parking lot and leave? Because Jesus literally says, in this world, in this life, you will experience tribulation. I would venture to say that some of you didn't encounter the trials and storms that you have experienced since you came to Christ. They both encountered the same storm. So what was the difference? Because some of you, it's been a while since you've gone to this passage of Scripture, even though you know it so well, and you've forgotten that they had so much in common, except one thing. And what was that one thing? That one thing was the foundation that they built their life upon. That was the one difference. And what you are building your life on is only as stable as the foundation that it is built upon. So here's what I want to do in the time we have left. I want to give you three foundation principles. Because if the foundation you are building your life upon will determine its stability, then we need to understand three foundational principles principles this morning that come straight from this passage of scripture. And the first one is found at the beginning of verse 24 and the beginning of verse 26. I won't read it again, but I mentioned that so you can see it. Here's the first principle. Your foundation in life cannot be limited to information. Information alone. Now I mentioned that there's two individuals in this story, but I didn't unpack how they're referred to. See, they're referred to as someone, one person is wise The other person is referred to as foolish. I can promise you this, that if I see you in the lobby afterwards, no one would want me to say to you, hey, how you doing, fool? You shouldn't. I wouldn't want you calling me that. So what are the significance of this term? Well, the first one is called wise. He's someone who is exercising wisdom which is why he's called wise. So what's a definition, a simple definition of wisdom to help us understand this first gentleman in the story? And even though it's written in the masculine, we could also say wise man or wise woman. Here's a definition of wisdom if you want to write this down. It's not on the screen. It's this, the ability to apply the truth of the Bible to life's decisions. It's a simple definition. The ability to apply... The truth of the Bible to life's decisions. Keyword, apply. Now, what's the definition of a fool? See, what I think is interesting is a fool is not determined by whether or not he or she has alphabet soup behind their name. You can have a PhD, you can have an MBA, you can have a, a, a doctoral of whatever, and you can be a fool. You can have an IQ of above 170 and be a fool according to Christ's standards. See, what's the definition of a fool? Well, if wisdom is the ability to apply the truth of the Bible to life's decisions, then a fool would be the refusal, the refusal to apply the truth of the Bible to life's decisions. See, that's what makes one wise and one a fool. Now, I want to emphasize this again. The wise man and the foolish man, they can have the same dream, they can hear the same message, and they can go through the same storm. But wisdom, 
goes beyond information. It has to deal with your decision making. See, I am by no means, as already said, a builder, but here's what I understand about building. If you're gonna build something, you start with the foundation. Like nobody likes like, like to think of it that way. Like if you've ever had the privilege of building a house, you're not like, man, I'm so jazzed about them pouring the foundation today. You know what you're doing? Man, you're going to Lowe's, you're going to Home Depot, you're going to some other place, Home Goods, wherever else, and you're like, man, what curtains can I buy? What paint can I paint the walls? Do I want French doors or do I want a slider? Like, what's the bathroom tile gonna look like? Like, how many sinks am I gonna have? Is my husband gonna have his own little sink or is he gonna share the sink with his wife? I mean, we go on and on and on, right? Nobody's thinking, man, I'm so excited to see the foundation port other than the house is starting. But a builder understands that the foundation is where you start. See, nobody says, hey, uh, hey, wait a minute. I mean, put this on hold. You're pouring the foundation. Wait a minute. Don't do that. Man, I, I want you first to show me and hang where the French doors are going to go. Like, show me the drywall and let's start painting the drywall. No, that's, that would be insane. Go get a new builder. Why? Because you always start with the foundation. And remember, their foundation was not limited to their biblical knowledge. It wasn't. Same sermon, same preacher, which tells me that you can go to a church every week, and I can go to a church every week, and hear the same message as the person sitting next to me, and even know more about the Bible than that person sitting next to me. And I can be a fool. Because what makes me a fool is not how much I know, but whether or not I am refusing to apply the truth that I know to life's decisions. See, in our life groups, this is the way we do life groups. And if you're not a part of one, man, we would love you to be a part of one. If you call this place your home, we want you to be involved in a life group. You can go to our website. You can see where they're located, which ones have room. I promise you, if you join, if you go visit one, it's not like the mafia. Once you get in, you can't get out. Like, you can go visit other ones. But in our life groups, we just simply do this. We look at the passage of Scripture that was opened on Sunday and we ask three questions. What did God's word say to you when it was preached? Now, what did Johnny say? What did the Bible say? It's the first question. Second question, why did the Lord speak to you in that way? And here's the third question, most important question. What do you believe the Lord wants you to do about it? Those three questions. Now, here's what I know is in our nature, and I'm not saying this because I've had some pre-conversation that's led me to say this. This is not a soapbox. But here's what I know is true of my heart. I can view that type of format and say, I want something deeper. Like, I want us to talk about some, the I mean, I want us to talk about the theology of angels, or I want us to talk about the theology of end times. And not that any of those things are bad things. Man, I wanna, I wanna dig deep. And I think that's great, man, we need knowledge. But listen to me, so often I've found in my life that when I'm searching for and wanting more knowledge, it's often because I have been deceived into thinking that if I have more knowledge, that somehow I'm more spiritual. I'm for sure not the smartest person in the room. But I will not stand before God one day because I have a lack of knowledge. You're gonna be thankful. I went to Bible college, I went to seminary, you ought to be thankful for that. Like, like you, you should want that out of your pastors. My problem's not knowledge. My problem's application. And I think that's the truth for most of us. See, it says we walk by faith. We don't, See by faith, we don't talk by faith, we walk by faith. I don't know if, it's, if this is you, but this is for sure true in the Pereira household. Man, our kids, and I love our kids, I'm very thankful for our kids, 
and I'm even sometimes guilty of this, but man, you ever have a problem in your house? Maybe this is true of you because it's true of our house where the lights are always left on. It's like, and you had the power to flip the light switch on. You got the power to flip the light switch off. But man, all the time I'm like, man, alive, there's every light in the house is on. So before you're leaving, what are you doing? You're just going and you're hitting all the lights. You know what? I've oftentimes would be good that's something that I want to do to put motion lights in. You know what I'm talking about? Like they've been around for a long time, not new technology. Like you walk into a room and because of the motion, the light comes on. And here's what's awesome. You leave and a couple minutes later, the lights go off. Same electricity, same power, but they come on when there's motion. And as simple a thing that that is, isn't that true how God's word is? That God's word becomes powerful in my life when it's put into motion. Now God's word is still God's word regardless of what I do with it, but it it has power in my life only when it is put into motion in my life. Otherwise, it sits there, man. It's ready to turn on. It's ready to be activated in my life. It's ready to change and illuminate my life. But it requires me to put it to action. That's why I say the first fundamental principle that we need to understand about our foundation is our foundation in life cannot be limited to information. But see, here's our problem. We as evangelical Christians, in other words, people that care about the gospel of Jesus Christ, we love to do this. We love to mix rock with sand. And what we so often do is we start out our lives, we start out our marriages, we start out our families doing the things the way that we want. We start out our lives, we start out our families, we start building something based on what I think, based on what the culture tells me, based on what what my family upbringing has been, which oftentimes is not that great for some of us. I mean, we could start out all what tradition says, and what we find ourselves is then we'll say, well, and yeah, I want to sprinkle some Bible into that. Yeah, give me some Bible, but that's not where we start. That's not where the foundation is being laid on the Word of God. No, 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 no. See, we just view it as information. Well, if I like it, if I agree with it, we talked about this a couple weeks, then, then I'll incorporate it. Now, here's what I want you to know, man. My favorite fruit is not apples. Do I eat them? Yeah, I do, because... They fill my belly with something that's healthy. But I'm not a great fan of apples. Not my favorite fruit. But you know what I love? And I'm going to eat here in a couple weeks? Apple pie. And let me just say as a side note, please don't bring five apple pies. Everything, Johnny loves apple pie, let's make him one. No, no, no. You want your pastor not to have to buy new pants. So don't do that. But I do love apple pie. And man, I'm looking forward to it. You cut in, and I love handmade crust. Lori makes an awesome apple pie. I love the goo that's there. I love the apples that's there. Now listen, apple is a a nutritional fruit, right? But I can promise you that I can eat a whole apple pie, and it is not going to bring any nutritional value to my waistline. You know why? Because all of a sudden, I took something that was nutritional, and I dumped a bunch of sugar in it, to where it may taste good in the moment, but I have eliminated the nutritional value of it. Why? Because I've added something to it that is not nutritional. And that's so often how we live our lives. I'm gonna do it my way, I'm gonna do it this way, I know this is what the Bible says, but I'm gonna do it here, and yeah, I'm gonna sprinkle some Bible, I'm gonna go to church every week, I'm gonna hold a Bible underneath my arm, I'm gonna go to life group, I'm gonna do all these things, but I'm still gonna do it my way, and then when the Bible coincidentally agrees with me, then I'll sprinkle some in. What have we done? We have deactivated the power of God in our life. Because we can't build a foundation limited to information. Here's the second principle, and it's found in verse 25 and verse 27. The beginning of those two verses says, and the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat on that house. Here's the second foundation principle. Your foundation in life is tested and revealed in the storms of life. Now, 
Now, I think when you look at a familiar passage of Scripture, you need to look at it even more intently because you take for granted what's there. So as I was looking at this passage of Scripture this week, you know what I noticed? It was not apparent in this story who was the wise man or who was the foolish man until the storm came. See, as long as it wasn't storming, each person's life looked great. Each person's house looked great. Man, their life looked great. They looked like they had it all together. Man, they dressed the same way. They sang the same songs. They listened to the same teaching. Their, their kids went to the same schools. I mean, everything looked great. The families looked great. The family, the marriages looked strong. They looked like they loved each other. They even held hands when they were in public. The marriages looked great. The families looked great. I mean, when they gathered together, man, the kids looked like they were behaved. They didn't, they looked like they ate well. They looked like they were clean. I mean, the family looked great. Hey, even the ministry. If that's what the house refers to to you, even the ministry looked great. Place was full. More people were coming. Well, great. And so often we can deceive ourselves into thinking that we are batting a thousand. But the reason why we're thinking that is because, man, I'm living my life the way that I want to. Oh, yeah, I know. I hear on Sunday. I hear, I, even when I read my own Bible, when I'm in life group, I hear other people talk, and I know that that's not my life the way that they're describing. That's not how I'm living it, but I'm not experiencing any consequences. So therefore, I'm thinking to myself, it must be okay to do. Must be okay for me to live my marriage this way. Must be okay for me to conduct my family this way. Must be okay for us to conduct our ministry, whatever you're building, whatever your dream is, until storms come. And God in his grace to every one of us who are a child of God, God allows storms to come into our life to test our foundation. To keep us from believing that lie that I can build my house on something other than the rock, and it won't be shaken. Remember the three little pigs? Remember that story? Probably everybody. Like I, I literally bought the book because I, I mean, our kids are long gone from reading that story, but, and then I forgot it at home, but I think you all know the story, right? The first pig builds the house of straw because, you know, doesn't want, he's kind of lazy, and he just wants something that will look good, and the other, person, other pig builds a house made of sticks. You know, he wants to be a little more diligent than the pig with the house of hay, but really, he doesn't want to put the time into it, but then you have the third pig, right, that builds the house of bricks, and what happens? The big bad wolf comes, and we know that the only house that stood was the house made of bricks. Why? Because the time was taken to build the house the right way. And storms are what God uses in your life and my life to reveal who is wise and who is foolish. Here's the third principle, and we'll be done. And it's found at the end of verse 25 and the end of verse 27. Look at what it says, end of verse 25. But it, speaking of the house built upon the rock, it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. But look at the house that was built on the sand, verse 27. Look at its its demise. Look at what happened to it. Same storm, same knowledge, but it fell, and great was the fall of it. Here's the third principle, and it's not profound in the wording, but it's profound in the substance. Your foundation in life can only be Jesus Christ. Keyword only. Let me remind you, what made one wise from one who was foolish? It was the one thing. What was it? Starts with an F. Foundation. It was the one thing. It wasn't the knowledge. It wasn't what they heard. It was what they did with it. Where did they choose to start their building? The foundation. 
Both of these men had everything available to them. The problem was is they started in a different place. One started on sand, one started on the rock. And listen to me, building on rock takes time. Building on rock takes work. Building on rock costs you something. It's not easy. There's sacrifices. I have to say no to this and yes to this. Doesn't mean it's, it's always going to be, man, I'm just, I'm just chugging along. No, 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 it takes time to build on rock. Man, you can build on sand overnight and it's cheap. You ever go to one of these places, maybe it's Universal Studios, you go there to visit, or, or even in Disney, and you go to these movie sets, and man, they look amazing from the front, and then you just kind of turn around and look on the side, and you're like, holy cow, that thing could literally be blown over like nothing. Like, I could literally go and take a hammer and knock out one of those boards, and the thing could potentially tumble down, right? Every time I look at one of those movie sets, I think, man, it looks so amazing from the front, but it has no substance. Why? Because it was built quickly, it was built cheaply, because they just wanted to erect it quickly, a lot different from something that's meant to last. You know, if you go downtown, and maybe not so much here in the last little bit, although we have apartment complexes being built all over downtown, but I remember when I went to New York City, And it was quite a few years after 9-11 had happened and they were building the Freedom Tower. And I remember we went to 9-11 and we went there and we saw the memorials, but then we went to where they were building the Freedom Tower and it had been quite a few years, I can't remember how long. And I remember like being like, good gracious, it's been years and they don't even have anything built yet. But I remember looking over, peering over, and man, that hole was deep. And one thing you know about skyscrapers is that the higher that it is built, the deeper that the foundation needs to be dug. And so much of the work that goes into building a skyscraper, something that's going to last, something of significance, is so much of the work is done underground that you can't even see. And it's so often true of our lives that we want to have skyscraper lives, but we want to build a foundation like a chicken coop. How quick can this happen? How quick can I do this? How quick can I do that? Let me check off the box. Let me do this. And not understanding, no, 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 no. So much of the work is on the foundation. And if we're going to have a foundation built on Jesus Christ, and that means that the foundation is also built upon the word of God because we live in a day where, man, we don't start here. We start here. We start here. We start here. We don't start here. Because someone who's building on Jesus Christ is someone who's saying, Lord, your word, your way, Your strength, it's not easy, but you've given me the power of the Holy Spirit to submit to it because, God, I want to build my life in such a way that it lasts. I want to build my marriage in such a way that it lasts. I want to build this ministry in such a way that it lasts. And sometimes you don't see the immediate fruit of it because you're building for something that will last. Ephesians 2.20 says this. It says that our lives are built upon the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, the one where we are to build our lives upon. You know what I noticed is Our house here in North Carolina that we have is built a lot different than our houses that we had in Naples. Because here in North Carolina, at least where we live, we don't have to worry about getting hit directly with a hurricane. In Naples, we did. See, you don't build stick houses on the coast of Florida. You don't. You build block houses. Why? Because you know that there may come a time where the winds blow and the rain comes and the floods may come. 
And what I've found is when I'm experiencing trouble in my personal life, when I'm experiencing trouble in my marriage, when I'm experiencing trouble in my family, listen to me, I, my family is the same as yours. Everybody's not perfect. When I experience trouble in my family, when, when I'm experiencing scourgement in ministry, the promise that I have is I can go to one book that has all the answers. Not 10, one. Because that book speaks to my personal life, my marriage, my family, my ministry. It speaks to everything. I don't need to change books. It makes me think of that hymn. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' love and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. You know, I remember when I was growing up, we oftentimes would get this gift. Remember this? If you're under 25, you probably don't know what this is. This is one of those punching, like, blow-up bags. And if you call this place your home, you know I have five younger brothers. So, man, we went through these things growing up like water. But I love these things. And you know what's pretty amazing about this thing? That regardless of how hard you hit it, it comes right back up. So I can go through one storm, one flood, winds, whatever it is, circumstances that are constantly facing me. And I can go through those storms but you know what makes me come back up regardless of the blows? Is what's at the bottom. See, the bottom of this is so much stronger than the top. And because the foundation of this is stronger than what's above it, it always comes back. See, I want every head bowed and every eye closed, and I just simply want you to ask yourself, God, have I been living as a wise man or woman? Or have I been living as a foolish man or woman? And that's not determined by the information I have. It's not determined by the teaching that I sit under, though that is important and that is needed and I'm not discounting that whatsoever. But God, I want to be wise. I want to apply the truth of the Bible to my decision making. I don't want to refuse it and be a fool. And the beautiful thing of God's grace is that if you've been operating as a fool, that Jesus doesn't make a conclusion on your life, that you can start building on the rock now. Because he's the way maker. He's the miracle worker. He's our rock, and the rock doesn't move. And may we be a church, may we be a people who are wise, not because of us, but because of the rock that we are built upon.